This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Morning, GYC. Can I say Happy New Year, too? Happy New Year. 2020. Who thought we would be here? Do you, does anyone remember 2000, those who are old enough to remember? Yeah. I remember when that happened, it was like, we will never get to 2020, and here we are. The sad part is, I think for a lot of us, we felt like 2020 won't get here because Jesus will be here before then, right? But the glad part is, if it's 2020, his coming was soon then, it's even sooner now. Amen? This morning, we're going to read the Bible together. Um, If you have your Bibles... Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you have your Bible on a phone, you can um, uh, tap to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're just going to read the Bible this morning and make some observations and pray that the Holy Spirit will teach us from His Word. Uh, Before I pray, though, uh, I promised my son who is in Zimbabwe with his grandparents that I would say good morning to him. So, Itai, good morning. I love you. Okay. All right, now we can start. (laughs) 1 Samuel chapter 1, bow your heads with me as we pray. Loving Father, we would like to thank you for the gift of life and would like to ask that you would be our teacher now. Lord, you know that I have nothing worthwhile to say, but we trust that the Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts through the Word of God. I ask that I would be hidden behind the cross if there's anything in me that could hinder the impartation of this message in a clear way, Lord, that you would remove that because we want to hear your word today and we want to see Jesus lifted up. So help us as we study your word to be focused on what your word has to say to us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. First Samuel chapter 1, we're reading from verse 1. Now, there was a certain man of Ramathimosim, Ramathim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives, the name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other Penina, and Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of the city, out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Let's pause there. And we're going to backtrack and read analytically. Let's start back in verse 5. It says that unto Hannah, he, meaning Elkanah, he gave a worthy portion when it was time to offer sacrifice, for he loved Hannah. We learned something about Elkanah, and in these first five verses, 1 Samuel introduces Elkanah to us, and the first thing we're going to look at, since we're backtracking from here, is that Elkanah was a loving husband. It says that he loved Hannah. And he loved Hannah in spite of the fact that the Lord had shut up her womb. This is significant because, you know, back then, to have children was a very, very important thing. 
And here you have a man married to this woman and, and she was unable to bear children for him. But in spite of her inadequacy, so to speak, it says that he loved her. Because he could have loathed her because she was unable to bear children for him. But the Bible says that he loved Hannah. And this is a beautiful picture of what a lot of us are looking for in love. Like if you're thinking about uh, uh, getting into a relationship, you're like, I want somebody who's going to love me for me. Amen? You're like, I I want a guy who's not going to see how gorgeous I am only, but who will love my heart. Right, girls? Right? Yeah. And, and guys, you're like, I, I want a woman who's not just going to see my fat wallet or lack thereof. I want a woman who's going who's to love me for who I am. And this is something we're looking for in relationships. So this is the picture of romance, right? This is a romantic guy. He's like, even though you cannot have children, I love you. And not just love you, I love you as if you had children. Because it says he gave her a double portion. So when they would go to sacrifice, it was as if she had children when he gave her her portion. He loved her so much. Verse 4. It says, when the time was that Alkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife. In verse 3, it says, the man went up out of his city yearly. So, firstly, in verse 4, we find that he gave to Penina, who had a bunch of children. He didn't just give her a portion. He gave her a portion and her children portions. This means that he was a man of means. He had money. Well, uh, the equivalent thereof in his day, right? He, he was loaded. He was rich. This is the picture of romance. A man who not only loves you, but, you know, he can show you that he loves you. And I'm, I'm, I'm being silly right now, tongue-in-cheek, because you don't have to have money to show a woman you love her. Amen? Amen. Yeah. But, you know, when I was talking to a, um, a certain young woman who shall go unnamed so, so I don't embarrass her, but she was like, you're going to GYC, you're going to be on stage, can you make an announcement that I'm looking for a man? Right? And give, announce my phone number. They can WhatsApp me. <laughs> um, I, I think she was joking. I'll check with her, and if she wasn't, I'll give you her number tomorrow. <laughs> but I said, uh, so my husband followed up with her. He said, what are you looking for? She's like, you know what? As long as he loves the Lord and he's got money, it's good. <laughs> I don't care about the height no more. I'm at that stage where the height doesn't matter anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> like she, he can be short and fat and bald and I'll love him if he got the money and he loves the Lord and that's what this Elkanah loved the Lord in verse 3 it says this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and sacrifice unto the Lord and the Bible puts an important note here it says that the two sons of Eli Hophni and Phinehas the priests of the Lord were there why does it say that? it says that because Hophni and Phinehas were notorious These men did not love the Lord. They were serving as priests of God in the temple, but they were were corrupt priests. Actually, it tells us in chapter 2, I'm going to say it now because I don't know if we'll have time to say it in the future, that they were so bad that they made it so people did not want to go to the temple. You know, those, those Christians who they're just so evil, they're wicked, that they make it so you don't even want to go to church? You're just like, I mean, if this is the church, I'm out of here. 
Matter of fact, I have a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, from when I, when I was a student at an Adventist institution. I'm not trying to embarrass no institutions here, but it's just the fact that he left Adventism, Christianity. He would proclaim himself to be an atheist, and you know where it began? Was He said, if this is the picture of Christianity that I'm seeing in my professor, who had mistreated him in a class, he said, if this is the picture of Christianity, if this is Adventism at its best, I'm out. Now, our faith shouldn't be based on people, right? My faith shouldn't be based on the person next to me and, you know, how, how, how they're representing Christ. But it does affect people, the way we represent Christ. And these men were not just churchgoers, Hophni and Phineas. They were leaders in the church. But this is how faithful Elkanah was. Even if his pastor was a hot mess, he was going to church anyway. Even if the head elder was getting up and speaking all kinds of nonsense, he was like, I'm here for Jesus. I'm not here for you. That is what kind of a godly man Elkanah was. He had the trifecta. He was godly, he was loaded, and he loved his woman. But go with me to verse 2. I love scripture. The Bible is that book that doesn't sugarcoat stuff, and it presents characters in, in, the, in the multitudinous facets that humanity exists in. Sometimes we like to do things black and white. You know, we're like, either you're good or you're bad. Right? Either you're, you're, you're with us or you're, you're not with us. And yes, with us and against us, and things are black and white. But aren't humans complex? So you have this guy who loves his wife. He's, he, he gives money to his wife. He gives her the resources. He shares his wealth with her. And, and he's a godly man. He goes to the temple faithfully, even when others have stopped going to church. He's still going. But in verse 2, this man made a mistake. It says he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other Peninnah, and Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. So apparently what happened was he married Hannah, they're happy, they're happy, no children. No children, year after year. And it's expected that you're going to have children and the children are not coming. Who's going to carry on your legacy? Who's going to be Elkanah II? And he just wanted children so much that he set aside his love for his wife and the commitment he made to her before God. And he got a second wife. When we step outside of God's will for our lives, it's never without consequences. Sometimes we feel like, you know, I can do this thing that's it, it, make things happen in my own way and we feel like it's going to be a benign thing and it's never benign because when we step outside of God's will, it will always have negative consequences because what happened was, verse 6, her adversary, this is Penina, also provoked her, provoked Hannah sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. So Elkanah marries the second wife so he can have children and, and the children come, but also what comes with, uh, with Penina is strife in his home. I don't need to say this. If, if you're going to get married, marry one person. Amen? God knew what he was talking about when he said that. And here it is now because of Elkanah's 
terrible, terrible mistrust of God's leading that his wife is now in a terrible situation. She's fretting, she's stressed, distressed. Why do I say it was mistrust of God? The Bible says at the end of verse 5, at the end of verse 6, it repeats, the Lord shut up her womb. The Lord shut up her womb. She was barren because God shut up her womb. Is it possible that you could experience a negative experience because God has permitted that in your life? And when the barrenness comes in your life, what do you do about it? I mean, the Bible here is talking about physical barrenness. She could not bear children. What do you do about that situation? I'm going to speak to young people now. The barrenness has come. There's a drought in your life and there are no men slash no women around. What do you do when the drought comes? The barrenness has come. You're, no matter how hard you're working and you're like, I want to be a millionaire by 25. And here you are, 26, and you're not a millionaire. What do you do when the barrenness comes in your life? For some of you are, are not from America. You're from other parts of the world where, where the economics are much more difficult than they are here. And in order to make a quick buck, you might have to do something that is... Eh, What do you do when the barrenness comes? Elkanah, instead of trusting the hand of God, the hand that gives only good gifts, so that you know that even if it's barrenness, this barrenness can only be for my good. Instead of trusting God's hand, he took matters into his own hands. He should have known better. You have the example of Abraham. Remember Abraham? God said you're going to be a huge nation. You're going to have all these descendants. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting. Yo, I'm 75 and <laughs> clocks are ticking. God, what's happening? And they took matters into their own hands, he and his wife. But what happened? Drama, right? Sarah and Hagar, drama. They knew these stories. Alcana should have known better. But when the barrenness came, instead of waiting on God and trusting him, he took matters into his own hands. I know he could have waited. I know he could have waited because we have a story in the future of someone that waited. Zacharias and Elizabeth. The barrenness came and they waited. Them too. And when the time was right, God opened her womb in a miraculous way. And it's a beautiful story because the both of them waited together. What do you do when the barrenness comes? Are you Elkanah? I know Hannah was not in on this. She wasn't in on this plan to bring in a panina. We know this because she prayed after this. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 7, as he did so, he's giving Hannah a double portion year by year. When Hannah went to the house of the Lord, so Penina provoked Hannah. And then it says, therefore she wept and did not eat. Hannah was a strong woman. Because when it says, as she did year by year, you have this picture of one year after another, after another, this is going on and on and on. And finally she reaches breaking point. 
Year after year, she held it together and, and she pulled herself together and was like, okay, Hannah, you, you got this. Let's go. But finally, after years, one year after another of being provoked by of the same thing, she finally broke down and she was weeping. She couldn't hold it in any longer. Alkana, her husband, says to her, verse 8, why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? And why is your heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So um, I know I need prayer because when I read this verse, I was like, if my husband said that to me, after he's the one who went and got a panina, because he, I'm not better to him than ten sons, right? But he should be better to me than ten sons. He was going to get a mouthful that would result in an earful and he would never say anything like that again, right? This is like kind of romantic, like, am I not worth more to you than ten sons? And not at the same time. Like, no, dude, I'm not worth more to you than ten sons, therefore I am crying. But Hannah was a godly woman and I need prayer. Because it says in verse 9, Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, after they had drunk. In verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul, prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Now when situations come in my life and people be acting crazy, one of the things that I naturally do, this is confession time, I'll like message my sisters and be like, can you believe... This is what happened. Can you believe da 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 Or you know, you call up your girlfriends and you're like, you know what happened was like da 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 And it's like, I cannot believe, can you believe, Elkanah would say that to you? I know, right? Like, that is so crazy. Like, girl, I'm so sorry. Like, I know, right? It's, it's, it's kind of instinctive to call up your girlfriend. And I know men do it too, not call up your girlfriend, you call up your boys. Call up your boy and be like, man, man, like, you know what, man? <laughs> man. <laughs> or, you know, in this generation, what's easier to do is we take to social media. And we post it as our Facebook status. Or we, we tweet it on Twitter. And, and, and I want to say this. It's, it's almost like we live in a generation that encourages complaining. Because I was on a flight, right? I went on this flight, um, and I didn't like what happened on the flight, the way that I was treated. So I went on Twitter, and I tweeted and tagged the airline, right? And they responded, and then eventually I got like a free ticket. So I'm like, I'm going to always complain <laughs> if I don't like the experience. It's like we're encouraged to complain, because if you complain, then you get stuff done. You complain, you get perks. But Hannah did not go to her friends or take to social media and complain. What has happened to us as Christians? Instead of talking to Jesus about the situation, like, look, I had a, I had a bad situation on the flight. The flight attendant was rude or whatever. Instead of praying and saying, Lord, what's going on with that woman? Can you intervene in her life? Help her out because she's treating me like dirt. 
instead of talking to Jesus about it, I'm straight up on Twitter, you know, bad-mouthing some flight attendant whose name I don't even know. We're complaining generation instead of a praying generation. Hannah didn't go around complaining about her situation. She could have, but she didn't. She took it to Jesus. Are we talking to Jesus today? Are we talking to Jesus about the things that stress us, the little nuance, uh, nuisances in our lives? Or we're complaining before we talk to the one who can do something about it? It says that Hannah rose up. She went in bitterness of soul. She prayed to the Lord and wept sore. Verse 11, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. When we're praying for God to bless us, am I praying that, Lord, if you bless me, I'm going to return this blessing to you? I'm praying, Lord, I need to get into this school so that I can, you know, be a student at Harvard or I really need to get into Andrews and I need financial aid and, and that's it. When I started working in the States, I was working on a religious worker's visa, um, which every year I was going to renew, renew, renew. It's a tiring process. It's stressful. You don't know if you're going to be... Um, if you're going to get through or not, if you're going back home, like it's, you're just like living in limbo. And um, the time came when my employer could apply for a green card for me, and they did, and I got it. Now, I remember when I got my green card, I was talking to a mentor of mine, and I said, hallelujah, I got my green card. Now, you know, I, I can stay here without stressing. I can go home without stressing about what's going to happen. And he said, what are you going to do? For the Lord now that he has given you the green card and I looked at him like oh I mean and the never the thought never occurred to me like if God blesses me with this thing how will I return it to him when we're praying for blessings in our lives does the thought ever cross your mind Lord if you give this to me how do I give it back this was Hannah's mentality she said God if you give me a child I'm giving him back to you. So you know her heart was in the right place. It came to pass. She continued praying before the Lord. Eli, the priest, the high priest, he saw her mouth moving. And he was like, something is not right with this woman. And he went, he went up to her and, and he's like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you're misbehaving in the temple. And she said, look, I, I'm not trying to you know, make a scene. It's just my heart is so heavy. She was so emotional that the way that she was holding herself, the way she was not composed, ill-composed, suggested that maybe she was drunk. And she said, I'm not drunk. I don't worship idols. I worship the living God and I don't drink alcohol. Amen. Okay. She's like, I'm not drunk, right? And, and, and then she shared what her burden was. Something about the way Eli approached her. Sometimes people will come at you based on their own life experience. And they may misunderstand your actions because of their own experience. Eli's children were sons of Belial, he tells us in chapter 2. They were the ones going around acting the fool in the temple. 
And so because he had seen that in his own children, he looks at Hannah and he assumes that she's acting like her kids were, his kids were acting. And once again, this is a godly woman because she doesn't respond in annoyance and, yeah, how dare you talk to me like that? You don't know who I am. She doesn't respond that way. She says, no, 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 my Lord, please don't think of me that way. She's so humble in the way she responds. And when people misjudge you, will you respond that way? Look, this has happened and happens often, you know, Young people come to GYC and you're going to be moved by the Holy Spirit to go do something. Dean was talking last night about you see something in your church, go be the one that does something about it. You're going to go back to your home church and you may start trying to do something and, and people might misjudge you, but it's based on their own life experience. You follow what I'm saying? And how do you respond to that? Are you like, oh, you don't know who I am. I'm a GYC attendee <laughs> and I'm... Bathe in the Holy Spirit right now. <laughs> How do you respond when people misjudge you? Hannah's response was humble. And so it says, Count not thine handmaid, verse 16. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. She took her griefs, she took her complaints. To Jesus. Now here's another side note for you. Those of you who are married, those of you who hope to be married, those of you who are unmarried and never hope to be, this is just a note for everyone. There are some things that you can tell nobody else but Jesus. This was that kind of a thing for Hannah. Her husband, she was supposed to be with him in this thing because two become one when you get married, but he is the one who was the source of the grief in her life. She couldn't talk to him about it. There will come situations in your life where you can't talk to anybody else about it, but you can always talk to Jesus. And some things you shouldn't talk to anyone else about. You should only talk to Jesus. And this is something she came and she brought before the Lord. Now, if you're looking to get married and you're, you're, you have this fanciful idea that you know, you get married and, and the two of you are peas in a pod and you do everything together, you know, and like uh, you're, you're like always in sync. You know, it's like you complete each other, right? Like you finish, finish each other's sentences. That is not exactly how marriage goes. Anyone married out there? Okay, I heard one or two amens, right? That's not exactly how marriage goes. You get married and you're still two individuals who become one. But you two as individuals need to have a relationship with Jesus all by yourself. This is why I say, you know what? Before you're thinking about getting married, before you're like, you know, fight, Lord, just bring that person into my life, you need to say, Jesus, bring yourself into my life. Before I'm committing to spend my life with somebody else, I need to make sure that me and God were like this. Because the going may get tough. The going will probably get tough. Matter of fact, I will guarantee you, when you get married, if you're not yet, the going will get tough. It will get tough in the sense that sometimes you'll be sitting there thinking like, okay, was I drunk? Like, this is why they say you fall in love. Like, was I thinking straight? And uh, 
my husband, I love you, honey. <laughs> this is not a commentary on, like, we are actually happily married so far. Please, you know, keep us in prayer if you ever think of us. But times get hard. Am I lying? Okay, thank you. <laughs> like, the married people, like, you should be saying amen. Like, help me out here. Times get hard. And when times get hard, you need to be able to talk to Jesus. You need to have that kind of a relationship with the Lord. And even when you're not, you say you're not married, times get hard in your single life. Amen? And you need to be able to talk to Jesus about it. And this is what Hannah did. When there was barrenness in her life, she came to God and she said, Lord, here. Here's my situation. Help me out. Nobody else on earth can help me. Here it is. After she spoke with the high priest, he heard what her request was, what was going on in her life, and, 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 and he said, oh, I understand now. Well, go because God will give you what it is that you are requesting from him. Verse 19. They rose up in the morning early, worshipped before the Lord, returned and came to their house in Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord remembered her. Amen. Jesus will never forget you. It may seem like it's been a while, like you've been talking to him about this for a long time, but he will not forget you. Don't stop coming to him. Don't give up. It says the Lord remembered Hannah and the Lord remembers you. He hears your cries. He hears those things that you talk to him about that nobody else knows. He hears you. It says the Lord remembered Hannah. Wherefore it came to pass in verse 20, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Alcana and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, not because she had lost her faith or because after God gave her what she wanted, she forgot God. No. She said to her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. And then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. She remembered her vow, what she had promised to God. And Elkanah said, Do what seemeth good to thee. Tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord shall establish his word. So the woman abode, gave her son suck until she weaned him. The next verse, uh, it hits home for me. Because um, I'm, a, I'm a mother of three who are three and under. So I got very young kids. So nursing babies is, is a current experience for me. And something happens as a mom when you hold your child and you're nursing your child. Like there's a, a bond that develops, uh, an inexpressible thing that happens. Moms, amen? Like... Um, and mothers end up being like kind of crazy, like she bears. Uh, I, I read this, this research recently that says that women uh, just before, like during pregnancy, and then they did the study up to two years postpartum, that women's frontal lobes actually are functioning less. So this is me functioning on less brain capacity. Okay, so please pray for me, right? 
um, their frontal lobes function less because it's like their instinct goes into high gear. And I think it, it, the study is saying biologically it kind of has to be so because as a mom, like taking care of this newborn baby, you kind of have to be like a little bit crazy, you know, because you're not getting sleep, right? But with, for not getting sleep, you're still like hyper-protective of this little creature that is depri depriving you of rest. But you're just like, my baby is crying, I gotta go! You know, and you're just like, ah! Like, and, and that's kind of what happens, you know, when you're nursing your child. So when it says in the next verse, in verse 24, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and bottle of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. So weaning a child, um, on average, they say anywhere between three and five years of age, you'd consider a child to be weaned. And reading the Spirit of Prophecy, Ellen White says that Samuel was three. She took her little three-year-old to the temple. Uh, look, we already talked about Hophni and Phineas. Like These guys were ridiculous. We talked about the fact that the temple service had been so corrupted that some people would not even go there to worship. This woman took a three-year-old child brought him to that place. If I'm thinking about my child's education, I'm thinking about, we're, we're starting to think, my, my eldest is three. We're starting to think about where he's going to go to school, if we're going to homeschool, if we're going to send him to academy, like what are we going to do? And I'm looking at all the schools in our area, and I'm like, uh, so tell me about this teacher and this one. I'm not sending to my child to a school that has Hophni and Phineas as principal. No way. Hannah took her child to the temple. Are you, are you beginning to understand what I'm saying? Some of us are like, I'm not, not going to return my tithe to the church because I don't trust what those leaders are doing with my money. Hannah took her three-year-old child to the temple. We're like, I'm not going to be involved in my church because I don't trust those people. She took her three-year-old child to the temple because she's not there to worship people. Because she worships the Lord. She made a vow between her and God. And she trusted her child not to Hophni and Phineas or Eli. Because Eli had obviously failed in raising his kids. She trusted her child to the Lord. Look, when you're experiencing barrenness, do you trust God or do you pull an alkana? And when God has blessed you and you're experiencing fruitfulness, do you trust that fruitfulness to God all the same? Or is it like, okay, now that I have this child, I'm going to protect this child. I'm going to make sure that nothing happens to this child. This child could be your degrees. It could be your career. It could be your relationship. It could, oh, now that I have this thing, I'm going to make sure that I take good care of it. In October of, this, of last year, I, I got on a plane with my newborn baby who was less than a month, like a month, a little over a month old, and with my three-year-old child and we took a trip to Zimbabwe and I went there and left him there with my parents to stay with my parents for a while. 
getting on that plane was one of the hardest things I did, but you know what was even harder was staying in my seat as we took off after we left the airport. I wanted to get up and manhandle the pilot, make him turn that plane around and go back and get my baby. So I cannot imagine what Hannah did. Look, I trust my parents. I know he's in good hands. He's having a blast. He's having a great time. And I see him every day with video chat. They didn't have video chat back then. And she wasn't leaving him with her parents who she trusted. But Hannah trusted God. Hannah trusted God that much. And she said, God, you're the one who gave this thing to me anyway. I give it back to you. We act like we can control our own lives. We act like we can control whether we wake up tomorrow or not. We act like, 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 like if, I, if I worry enough about it, I'm going to be able to change it. Jesus said, don't fret. Who has added a cubit to his height by stressing? Trust in God. Trust in God. Don't go about it your own way. Don't pull an Alcana. Oh, I, 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 I'm going to go outside of God's will to make this happen. Don't do that. Trust in God. And when he has blessed you, don't go about your life as if you really have control because you don't. And the sad thing is sometimes God has to take away those things from our lives to remind us that we don't have that kind of control. So we can remember to trust in God. We're starting in 1 Samuel chapter 1. This, for our morning devotions, we're going to stay in 1 Samuel. Because this is where the narrative of by many or by few is based in. But I thought it was fitting to start right at the beginning of the book because this lays a foundation for the by many or by few. The kind of person that God can use. Whether there are many people or there are few people, is the kind of person who trusts him. It's the person who says, my whole entire complete unreserved trust is in you, Lord. Do you trust God today? Do you trust him that he's able to take care of your situation? Yeah, you're 35 and single, pushing 40. Do you trust God still? Or are you going to go outside of the church because there ain't no good men in the church? Yeah, you're, you're, you're working on your education and the finances aren't coming together. Are you going to still trust that God will make a way for you? You're looking for a job. Are you going to re- still trust in God? Finances are tight. Are you going to return a faithful tithe? Yes, to the church that sometimes you're questioning, you know, some of the stuff that's happening, but you're not tithing to the church, you're tithing to God. Are you going to trust in God? Bow your heads with me. Lord, it's hard sometimes to let go control. We think we have control, but in reality we don't. And we need to learn to just trust you, to rest in your providence, in your care for us, 
to trust that you love us, that you have our best interests at heart. Even when the barrenness comes from you, we, tr- we need to trust that you know what's best for us in our barrenness. And Lord, when you give us the gifts, we need to learn to trust you with those gifts, to give them back to you. Lord, please forgive us for not trusting you. Forgive us for our complaining spirit. Forgive us for turning to other places instead of turning to you when, when you are the source of all good and all perfect gifts. Forgive our sin in this thing, Lord, because we want you to be able to use us to reach a world that is dying. And in order to do that, we need to place our complete trust in you. As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, there's someone here this morning who wants to stand up from their seat and declare that they want to have the spirit that Hannah had. The kind of trust that Hannah had. I invite you to stand up with me. Father, you see the people that are standing and you know, you know our hearts. You know if, if some of the people standing are doing so just because they don't want to look odd and everybody else is standing so they are. But Father, I pray that this is a sincere decision from our hearts that you would help us to trust you. Let's send your Holy Spirit to bring to mind those situations that we're experiencing that, that we need to have a deeper and more sincere and fervent and earnest trust in you. Forgive us for our lack of faith, but make us faithful warriors today by the power of your Spirit, your indwelling Spirit. We pray these things in your loving name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.